Hello everyone and welcome back to the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. My name is Rory, going to be your host for this evening and I'm joined as always by the Dublin Del Piero, fellow Rock. How are you doing Phil? What's up Rory, good to be back. Yep, absolutely good to be back, going through another couple of clubs. Um, and we're joined by a special guest tonight, Mr Phil Harrison. Phil, how's it going? Uh, very well guys, how are you doing, you okay? Good, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Cannot complain whatsoever. So tonight we're going to be going through another two clubs from Phil's book, uh, Forgotten Football Clubs, 50 teams across the world gone but never forgotten. Um, so last week, obviously, we focused on the first two clubs in the book, which were Sporting Fingal FC of the Republic of Ireland and FC Amsterdam from the Netherlands. So obviously that was just to get things kicked off. Um, the format's going to change slightly now, where we're basically just going to pick two at random every week um, and we'll go through them. Uh, just before we kick off and just before we announce the teams, uh, we had a sort of small competition, a small giveaway um, from the show last week, uh, where the question was to guess, Phil, do you want to remind the listeners? Yeah, so the question was, who was Sporting Fingal's top goal scorer in their first season? Um, and yeah, we had quite a few responses. Um, yeah, Rory, do you know the answer? Uh, I absolutely do know the answer, but just before I give it, uh, how many people were correct? Uh, I'll just check for you now because we've got a few late entries today. Um, okay. There was one or two wrong answers as well. Uh, a lot of people actually uh, uh, guessed Eamon Zayed, who, of course, didn't play for Sporting Pingal until the latter stages of their short life. Um, but we had 15 correct answers. So 15 people in with a chance of winning a free copy of for, uh, Forgotten Football Club. So, shall we pick the, the winner? Or shall we wait until the end of the show? I think we should wait till the end of the show. Um, and if you like, we can put them into a, a random a random picker, I suppose. Um, but just to just so that we're not keeping anyone waiting any longer, uh, and I'll read it out from one of the answers that we got messaged in on the Twitter page, uh, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, the correct answer to who was Sporting Fingal's top scorer um, in their first season in the top division, was it? Uh, no, the first season ever. So they were playing first the first season. Okay, apologies. Yeah. First season ever. Uh, the top scorer was musician, male model and football player, Robbie Doyle. Yeah, so, that, would, that would be the correct answer. And he was all of those things uh, and an entertainer. Uh, I could actually <laughs> sing you a chant that uh, the Shelburne fans used to chant about him, but uh, I think... I have this uh, podcast on non-explicit, so uh, we'll move on. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, what we'll do at the end of the pod then is we will put all the correct answers and the people who sent them in into a random name picker, and that'll be announced on the Twitter page later on. But for now, we're going to get on with the rest of the show. So to announce tonight's teams, first of all, uh, Phil and Phil, uh, Phil O'Rourke and Phil Harrison, uh, are going to be discussing uh, a team from Albania called KF Spartak Tirana. And then after that, I'm going to be discussing uh, the Belarusian side, or former Belarusian side, sorry, FC Partizan Minsk. So, um, guys, why don't you just kind of start off, um, Phil Harrison, we'll start with yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Tirana just before we jump straight into it? Okay, yeah, Spartak of Pirana, uh, Tirana. They were uh, born into the early communist era of, of Albania. Okay, so they, they were founded in 1950. Mm -hmm. 
short, shortly after communism had come to the fore in Albania, which happened, you know, post uh, Second World War, uh, they were known as the team of the trade unions. So they had uh, they had strong links to uh, uh, yeah trade trade unions of Albania at the time, which were you know effectively like there was, there was a trains and there was the, the kind of uh, industrial plants. So they were the team that represented those. Okay. Um, and they uh, they they were in existence initially for just nine years. So they, they came into formation in 1950, uh, the same year uh, that Dynamo Tirana came into uh, existence as well. Uh, so but uh, so two teams uh, entered into the uh, you know Albanian Campionati, who were both uh, from the Tirana, the city of Tirana. Uh, however, you know both sides were, had, had different degrees of success. Whereas Dynamo went on to become one of the big teams of the era, uh, Spartaco uh, only managed to play in the uh, uh, Campionati for three seasons. Mm. So they they played uh, 1954, 1955, and, and 1957, where they were relegated, uh, finishing bottom of the the, the uh, division uh, without winning a game of their of their fourteen league games. Uh, and uh, in 1959, they uh, they ceased to exist. Right. Although, although a, a kind of a renaissance club did come into existence for a short period in uh, between 20, uh, 2012 and uh, 2020, but, mm. but but again dissolved. Yeah, yeah, I, I did see actually that um, there had been a, a couple of iterations of the club, and, and one had sort of been reformed in, in 2012, a sort of Phoenix club, if you like. And obviously, you know, some people may have already drawn the links between, you know, we're discussing KF, Spartak, Tirana, whereas um, there is another team with a very, very similar name, um, which is FC Spartak, Tirana. Now, or FC Spartak, Tirana, whichever, you know, you, you, way you want to pronounce it. Um, is there any link between those two clubs? I know they're, they're from kind of different areas, Um is there any form of link to it? You know, obviously we don't want to cause any confusion. So just to, to kind of clear the air with that, first of all. No, well, I mean, it's uh, there's uh, there, there, the only link is that it's it's kind of uh, fans of historic football uh, are the ones that that kind of wanted to create this uh, this you know kind of renaissance club. So there is there is no link other than kind of nostalgia and his uh, you know his historical kind of nostalgia. That's that's the link really. Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. So uh, that's a nice bit of background then. So it sounds like they're, they're obviously uh, a, a bit of an older club, quite a historic club. Um, Phil, was there any reason why you chose to write about um, Spartak Tirana uh, in well, the first place? They, they, well, they, uh, well, any club that I picked out always kind of, for whatever reason, just kind of popped out. One of the reasons actually is what you mentioned there, Rory, is that there was two clubs of the kind of same nature uh, or the same name. And originally I thought they were both linked um, when, I, when I first looked. And then obviously when I do my research and stuff, I'm like, hang on, these are two separate clubs. Uh, like Phil mentioned there as well, um, Spartak Tirana or KF uh, Spartak Tirana and then there was Dynamo Tirana. And there was a bit of a, if I'm right in saying, Phil, there was a bit of a, a social difference between the two clubs. So Dynamo were, were, were seen as more of a kind of elite club, whereas Spartak were seen more of a working class club. Would that be correct? 
That would be cool. I mean, and of course, uh, Dynamo with the the team of the Sigurimi with the uh, the Secret Police. Secret Police, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Whereas, and Partizani with the team of the Army, uh, and and Spartaka with the team of the Trade Unions. So they were uh, they were on different. Although everything was kind of in in communist Albania, everything was tied to kind of uh, the the rule of the party. They they represented different factions of society, mm. and uh, yeah, Rory, that, that that was basically one one of the things that intrigued me when I when I researched it, when I when I kind of dug a little bit deeper. As I said, originally it was because I thought there was two clubs of the same name, but uh, you know these accidents kind of happen, uh, and and I stumbled upon this kind of. Uh, this kind of cultural differences w- between football clubs, and um, which Phil will probably be able to tell you even more about, because um, Phil is is the guy, the expert on Albanian football, as as you can see in the book uh, when I'm interviewing him, and he tells us all about it. Um, Phil, I suppose people will probably be wondering, you, you have, uh, you know, you're you're an Englishman, uh, yeah. you don't have an Albanian accent. Why Albanian <laughs> football? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, it's something that uh, I'm, I'm presently writing my own book about. It, and the only thing I can say is it, it kind of like uh, it's if a place is remote and it's got a football team, I'm a- always more interested in going there. To be to be honest, and mm. and it stems back to like a 1988 qualifier that England played in Tirana, uh, and there was a very kind of you can see it on YouTube. There's a very uh, uh, prominent film about about uh, you know it's like a, a bbc intro to the game uh and it, and all these images of what appeared to be a very kind of uh, impoverished country came onto the screen uh and i don't know it's it's just uh you know when something grabs your attention that grabbed my attention and mm-hmm. and from there on it was uh, i was trying to source as much information I, I could using the kind of dual uh vehicles of the european football yearbook and world soccer magazine to find out anything i could about albania i've been doing that ever since uh, i did get a chance to go there shortly after the communism kind of fell in 1992 uh and uh, it's it was uh, it was still quite a you know quite quite a yeah quite a rural country uh then uh, but did manage to to get into Tirana to watch uh, to watch a, a couple of games in Tirana. So uh, you know, and and, uh, and now I'm I'm friend. I've as I've alluded to myself presently in the process of writing a book on the history of Albanian football, which I believe will be the first book of its type in the English language. Uh, and uh, I've created some great friendships with that with Albanians who've contributed so much information to it. It's it, it's really brought the book alive. You know, they they've talked to me about what the match day experience was like. Uh, they've talked to one one guy who uh, I speak to. I said to him, said uh, I said, oh, I really it sounds great. I said, I really wish. Uh, I, I knew somebody who, uh, who kind of like who was part of the football culture at that time. He goes, "Oh, well, my dad used to play for a team." I was like, "Come on, tell me more about that." This story about his dad who played for a second division Albanian team who were always pushing for promotion, and they were a team called Kamez uh, Dati, who were also based in Tirana, but they were, were up in the uh, the kind of top top northern uh, sort of territories of Tirana. Mm. And uh, he, he kind of regaled this incredible story about his dad's history, how he'd, how he'd, uh, he, he was on the cusp of kind of signing for, uh, for 
17 Nendori, who are now, now you know, FK Tirana. Mm. Uh, but, it, but he was better at, uh, at agriculture. He was an agriculturalist or uh, agronomist. Uh, and because he was so good at that, they stopped him from becoming a professional footballer. So everything during that time period was based on on what you were good at. You know, it was a socialist country and it was like if you were if you were earmarked for a particular job, you did that job and all your dreams uh, came secondary to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting what you're saying. And just to kind of go back to the start from what you said there, it's like whenever, you know, for example maybe not so much Scotland, but whenever your team are playing in Europe um, and, you know, everyone knows you could get drawn against the French team, German team, you know, all the, all these places that relatively are close by, but there's something that bit more special about away days at a place where you barely go or against a club that's maybe a little bit smaller than yours and you're playing in the qualifiers, but, um, you know, you go and it's maybe a little bit less known. So, like, for example, Celtic played away in, against FK Sarajevo uh, a few years ago, uh, yeah. and it looked absolutely fantastic. Like it looked amazing because it's it's one, it's a little bit exotic and it's different, but two, these places are beautiful as well, and you're not going to get an awful lot of opportunities to go there otherwise. So to be able to go and watch football against a team that you wouldn't normally know, like it's it's, it's brilliant and it's, it sounds really really interesting. Um, but obviously, you know, just to kind of take it back to teams as well, it's it's like a lot of places in a lot of these countries where. Um, as footballing nations are maybe seen as still kind of getting there almost, uh, sometimes still finding their feet. So you often hear stories about people who will have had parents or family members who've maybe played for different teams uh, to some degree, but then had to go off and do other stuff. And to be fair, still get that in some of the lower Scottish leagues. I mean, I, I played, um, well, I didn't play, uh, I was a, a terrible footballer, uh, but I worked with someone at the at Prudential, the insurance company, who uh, is a centre-back for Sterling Albion. So, you know, it's one of those things where yeah. people still need to kind of try and make the two meet. And, and obviously, in, in their case, um, although he, he kind of wanted to play, he'd been earmarked to go and do something else, and that's what he had to do. Um, but just to kind of uh, move things on a little bit, why don't... I'll, I'll just let you two guys go on um, for now. Why don't you tell me a little bit about um, Spartak Tirana's uh, history while they were a team uh, in terms of the results, any big players, um, and how, obviously, they, they unfortunately had to fold? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they did have one uh, specific player who was, uh, who was very important uh, to the history, not only of Spartak Tirana, but the history of Partizan Tirana and for the... Uh, the uh, Albanian national team, and that was a guy called Laura uh, Barici. Okay. Uh, now Laura Barici was was is regard widely regarded as the finest Albanian player of all time. Uh, there are other players who fall into that kind of category, but he's the prototype for for the kind of you know Albanian footballing superstar. Um, he uh, originally played for Vlasnia, who were a side based in the north of the uh, country from the city of Skoda, as you probably already know, <laughs> guys. You know, you've informed guys. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but he, um, he, uh, he left uh, Albania in 1937. Um, sorry, no, no he uh, was playing for Vlasnia in, in 1937. He left uh, Albania in 1941 uh, to go and study in Rome. Uh, and whilst in Rome, uh, he trained with uh, the university, the La Sapienza University in Rome, uh, and he was spotted by uh, by by Lazio, and uh, Lazio signed him, uh, and he played 
for, for Lazio uh, for two years. Uh, and he was a kind of, he was a tall, elegant uh, footballer, you know, good on the ball, a uh, bit of a goal scorer as well. So he, he was, a, he was a very talented footballer. And, uh, and at, at this point, he must have thought that he was going to kind of, you know, transpose these gifts that he had upon a bigger audience in Italy. Mm-hmm. However, the one thing that was uh, in his way was that he was also uh, in the same team as uh, Silvio, uh, Silvio Piola, <laughs> who was... Uh, <laughs> who played in the same position as him, basically, an Italian superstar who just won the World Cup with Italy. Uh, you know, he was uh, just a superb, superb f- footballer all round. So it gave Barici uh, limited chances in the first team. So in 1943, he decided to return to uh, to an Albania that had just kind of been freed from uh, it- the Italian fascists and now was heading into an area, uh, uh, area uh, time era where uh, the German fascists had taken over the country. Mm. Um, so he went home in 1943 uh, <laughs> and within a couple of days of the boat landing uh, in, uh, in, in uh, Vlora in Albania, uh, Silvio Pioli was sold to Juventus, so he'd left the country. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I'm never going to get into this side because of this player who's playing in my role. And, and by the time he got home, he'd, he'd left for another club anyway. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, Laura Baricci's, uh he he uh, signed for Spartaku uh, in 1957, uh, and uh, he played. Uh, he was a player uh, manager for them that year. Uh, but unfortunately, in that year, they uh, they were relegated. So, uh, and uh, two years later, they were they were uh, dissolved. And there's often the question as to why they were dissolved. And in my opinion, it was because uh, around 1957, um, Albania had fallen out with the Soviet Union. They were they were very close to Stalin. Hod- Enver Hodger, who was their leader, he was it was like it was like uh, it, it was. Uh, uh, Joseph Stalin's fanboy, you could say. Okay. Uh, and he and and they, they were, you know, he, he absolutely idolised Stalin. And when Khrushchev came in and started making these kind of disparaging remarks about Stalin, they they fell out. And in 1957, um, after sort of 12 years of of being kind of like a very uh, very close to the Soviet Union and kind of and and copying all of their kind of uh, prototypes socially and in sport, uh, Spartaku uh, became obsolete and I think they were dissolved because they 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 were more of a Soviet model. Right, uh, I see. Okay, okay. So there's that kind of... Um, there's that kind of element of internal Soviet politics or uh, Iron Curtain politics that, that kind yeah. of came in with that. And I can, I can imagine as well, obviously, you need to look into it, but I'd imagine the same happened with, with quite a few other teams, not just in Albania, but across the entire Eastern Bloc and, and, yeah. and in the Soviet, Soviet Union itself. Yeah, I mean, in, interestingly, in Albania, in the first division, that uh, out of all the eight clubs, uh, in 1957, five of the clubs had the kind of prefix of Pune, which meant work. Right, uh, I see. Okay. A very, a very socialist thing, but after 1957, all those five teams changed their name. Uh, so, so they, they, it looked like there was, there was a, a slight kind of a, they were trying to erase Soviet influence on Albanian society. And that proved to be the case over the course of the coming history. You know, they no longer wanted to be affiliated with the Soviet Union, uh, and and 
it got to the point in 1961 where they completely broke from the Soviet Union and allied themselves with China. So yeah, okay, yeah. yeah there, there was of course that that sort of big historic split. That that's really interesting. It's um, it's quite good that that we kind of lay out this political context as well because um, unsurprisingly, it's the backdrop for the the dissolution and the founding of a lot of clubs, not just in Eastern Europe but across the rest of Europe, the world, and wherever else as well. So. I really, I really enjoy that context, and I, I find it all really quite interesting. Um, it's something that um, lays the ground for a lot of further research as well. But over in the the football side of things, Billerork, why don't you tell us uh, some of the success stories, if you may, um, some of the results, um, and some of the some of the things that happened while uh, Spartak Prana were still playing. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Phil Phil Harrison there uh, mentioned um, uh, Loro uh, Barici uh, quite rightly. Um, there's an actual, there's an actual, there was an actual poll done. So each, uh, I think it's on your yeah European nations um, got to pick their best ever player or, or their golden player if you like. And uh, for Albania, you can look it up. Uh, uh, um, Pardon me, Loro Barici, I, I always struggle to pronounce it, uh, was the man that the Albanians picked. So he is basically the best, voted the best ever player to come from um, Albania. Uh, when, when, we, when I was doing the interview for, with Phil uh, for the book, he uh, basically told me to go look him up on, on YouTube and stuff like that. So you can actually uh, watch him on YouTube. Um, oh, and yeah, yeah. So if you if you want to go have a look at that, um, he, he was quite, he was, he was, Look, he was a, he was a good good little player back in his day. I'd imagine he'd be uh, he would uh, be able to contend in the you know the Premier League. Uh, obviously, different eras and stuff like that. And people say, "Oh, how will you ever know?" But he looked like he had quick feet. Uh, he looked like he, he like the ball just stuck to his feet. Uh, for I think they called him uh, Phil uh, Little Puskas, Was it? Is that what they called him? That yeah, that that was another player actually, man. That was a player called Pan, uh, Panajot Pano. That's, uh, that's Pano as well. Yeah, he's the other uh, one that I was going to mention. Uh, well, he's Barici, the one that Barici, they were similar. They were a similar, a similar type, mate. That's, that's yeah. exactly right. They they were they were the players who kind of went at the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they they would they would kind of try to impose themselves upon a game. Um, you know, from the kickoff, and there's there's lots of like footage of both. Uh, well, Barici based during the Balkan Balkans Cup, which is uh, Albania's only. Uh, international honour. They won that in yeah. 1946. Uh, but you can you can see some footage of that on, and you see uh, little pockets of play by Barici, which are excellent. Uh, and then the other guy, Panajot uh, Pano. Uh, there's quite little, a lot little of yeah, 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 he's, he's little, little quite uh, quite nifty. He, was, I'd say, he was probably a close uh, close runner up to the best ever Albanian player. Um, yeah, he, he was. Uh, uh, he certainly looked the business. He, he was, as you as you say, he was, he was known as little uh, little Puskas. He had two nicknames, and the other one was Umbretti, uh, which means the king. So he was, yeah. he was known simply as, as the king as well. So uh, so yeah, two really they're, they're the they're at the kind of top end of when when people talk about great Albanian players. Their their names are always in the argument. Hmm. You see, it wasn't um, it wasn't Albanian, but it's, it's from Slovakia. Another player that kind of comes to mind. It's not too far away, I suppose. Um, you know, kind of around the, the, the same part of Central and Eastern Europe, I guess. Um, former Celtic player uh, Lugo Maravchik. Oh, um, he's played with fantastic Celtic, football. Played with San Etienne, yeah. And mm. listen, it sounds it sounds really similar to the guys that you're kind of describing. The ball stuck to his feet. 
he was small. The things that he could do with it were just uh, absolutely mind blowing. Uh, and his nickname was the Little Magician as well. So maybe it's uh-huh. maybe it's just something from that kind of that kind of area. I, I mean, again, they're, they're quite far apart, but they, they sounds they sound quite similar. Uh, in the nature of how they played, I'll need to look up those videos because that sounds like some some fantastic footage to have. Um, I, I, yeah, I think I think it's uh, it, 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 around that kind of uh, corner of Europe. There's, there's there's always the kind of emphasis on the great technician of, of football. You know, yes. they, they were the kind of playmaker, uh, the the flair player. Whereas sometimes in British football, uh, particularly, there's more of a kind of uh, emphasis on solidity than flair, isn't there? And uh, but but there you've got that kind of metronomic kind of tempo setter who who's good on the ball, who brings other players in and and can score goals. So mm-hmm. they're of that type, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So, but this, um, did this, uh, did their hero, their, their absolute superstar, did he propel them to success uh, at all? How how well did they get on? <laughs> He, he didn't. He didn't do with Spartaco, unfortunately. No, uh, they, no. As I say, they, they only spent uh, they only spent three years in the uh, uh, Campionato, which was in the national uh, championship of Albania. But he did uh, have success with uh, Partizani, uh, uh, and uh, initially with with Vlasnia. He won the league with those in 1946, and then he went on to win a, a couple of uh, su- uh, Super Leagues with uh, with Partizani. Uh, and uh, and and several cups with them as well. So so he didn't he didn't have uh, success uh, with Spartak but he he did have a lot of success with Partizan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was controversially robbed off. Uh, well, that's why uh, robbed might might be a bit of a a stretch. But uh, Partizan used their their army leverage, I suppose you could say. To, to yeah, get yeah. Is that so- correct, Phil? There was a specific way of transferring players during that yeah. time, time period, uh, and basically, uh, it, it benefited the what I would call the, the super clubs, who were like Partizani and and Dynamo, uh, because they had ties to the military and the police. Uh, when a player was called up for national service, they would be prized away from the club that they played for. So, in Berici's kind of uh, uh, context, he was playing for Blasnia. So, he, he was signed up for national service, which meant that he automatically, for two years, had to play for either Partizani or Dynamo. And Partizani came in and said, like, you're playing for us. They, they took him off, uh, off uh, Vlasnia. And uh, for two years, he played for them. Uh, and when the uh, the option came for him to, to rejoin Vlasnia, that's when uh, Partizani would offer financial uh, sweetness mm-hmm. to get him to play. So it would be like, we'll give you a, a nice new flat. It, it would never be monetary, but they'd offer you kind of an easier job with less hours uh, and a nice new flat. And that's how, how those teams kind of signed all the all the kind of mint talent in Albania at the time they just uh, they just kind of uh, signed them uh, if they were on national service and then afterwards they offered them financial uh, sweetness to kind of stay at the club uh, and that's what happened with uh, with Barici. yeah yeah so that's you can see Rory, Rory so like in my research uh, of the book you could see why maybe Spart- KF Spartak Tirana you know are are in the book um, because they were kind of pushed out. There were so many clubs in Tirana, though. I'm not 100% sure on the amount. Maybe Phil knows how many. <laughs> uh, but there's so many. And, and they were all playing in, in one stadium at one point, I think. Um, they were. Oh, my yeah. goodness. 
they were playing in the Kemmel stuff up from 1946 yeah. to 1961. So you had, you had at one stage, there were like, there were five kind of Tirana based teams. Uh, there was another uh, Tirana team called Luftatari uh, Tirana, uh, who were alongside Spartaku, alongside Partizani, alongside 17 Nendori. Yeah. Uh, they all played in the Campionati at, at the same time in the same stadium. So, uh, it, as you can imagine, like the fixture, <laughs> fixture kind of uh, country of garbage, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> every, other, every other week, generally. But then, like that's why they had to build the uh, the Dynamo Stadium, which is now the uh, Salman Stamassi. Uh, in uh, uh, in 1961, that eventually uh, opened, and that became a secondary stadium in Tirana. Okay, I see. Yeah, it's. I think so. There was there's a couple of couple instances I know of um, rival teams sharing stadiums, um, and it's it's. I mean, I guess it's it's you know maybe just because of the the football and culture that I've grown up around and known, but. I, I could not imagine the thought. I could not imagine the thought. I just think it would just be so like bizarre, almost like you do. You don't. It, it is your home, but it's also not your home. It's everyone else's home as well. So it's it's maybe maybe a bit more of a Western football and culture that maybe I don't know. Um, it may just be the circumstances of where they were, but it's uh, not something that I could deal with. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, um, I, every I... club needs their own home, almost. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's uh, indicative of what Albania was was at the time. You know, it sure. was uh, yeah. you, you you had to kind of toe the line, and sport was seen. And although it was it was very passionate, it was as passionate as any other country. It was it was a kind of a recreational pastime, and uh, yeah. and and everyone shook their hands at the end of the game. There was you know everyone towed the line, so you just. It was just part of life, I, I think. Although there's lots of documented uh, occasions where things didn't quite go like that in Albania, which uh, which I'm presently documenting in in the, uh, the 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 book that I'm presently writing on Albanian football history. There's a lot to unpick there. There's a lot of, lot of great stories, uh, a, a lot of unbelievable kind of in, in, instances that, that 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 happen there. It's uh, it's it's. It, it's a it's a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I've no doubt, and I'm I, I look forward to reading that when it comes out. It's um, it sounds really really interesting. Um, I'm quite interested in, in football from uh, you know, there's a good Twitter account I follow called Far Away Football. Um, and gets something yeah. quite similar as well. So, um, I'm quite interested in it. But so, am I right in saying the the club initially folded in 1957? Uh, 1959. They they they. Fifty nine, uh, and uh, yeah, formed in nineteen fifty and folded in nineteen fifty nine. Okay, so did the if we we're go- we'll call them the Phoenix Club. So did the Phoenix Club founded in twenty twelve? Did they have much success, or are they very much the case that they were kind of batting around the lower echelons of Albanian football? Um, they still are, or did they did they manage to rise to any prominence? No, they they spent most of the time in the third tier of Albanian football and uh, and and never never made it to the uh, the the top tier. So, uh, so yeah, they, and and they lasted for an even shorter period of time than the than the initial incarnation. Uh, they, only, <laughs> they only lasted for eight years. So and, and then they dissolved as well. So 
leaving behind uh, great stories, but <laughs> yeah, not uh, yeah. In in total between the two sides, they they were in existence for only seventeen years as as kind of in on on, on aggregate as. If you... so it's, it's amazing because obviously you know they they've got their their their, their big player and, and stuff like that, but seventeen years, no trophies yet. They've left such an impression and and obviously grabbed both of both of your guys' attention to be able to write that write about. It's fascinating. And genuinely, I find it so interesting how. Just a club that has, in the, on the face of it, had very little success, can just have that big an impact, and how its name can still be recognised and heard today. It's, I, I think it's, I think it's a great thing. It really is. Yeah, I, I think it's just uh, football nostalgia is kind of interest in the remote and the uh, and the unique and the, uh, the 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 path less trodden that 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 takes us there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Phil Rock, have you got anything, any last last things to add just before we move on? No, just that it was uh, a chapter that I uh, really enjoyed. Th- uh, mostly thanks to, to Phil there, um, who who helped me along uh, greatly with the research and stuff like that, and gave me even more insights to the actual club. But you're dead right, Rory. Uh, it kind of highlights a club that wasn't. You, you asked me earlier, uh, you know, uh, what successes do they have? In truth, they didn't really have any success uh, on the pitch uh, with trophies or anything like that. Uh, but yet, they still, uh, um, you know, left their mark on football. And I think that's that's kind of what I was trying to get with most of the clubs that, um, that I wrote about. That, you know, just you, you don't have to be successful. Like, you don't have to be this huge club like Man United, Barcelona, to leave an impression uh, in the footballing world. There's so many football clubs out there that have left impressions uh, with football fans, their own, and, you know, rival fans, I'd say, uh, would, would remember uh, KF Spartak Tirana as well. Um, but certainly one of the one of the more interesting stories that I wrote about, and uh, Albanian football has definitely piqued my interest because of it. Excellent, excellent. No, and it's done the exact same for me. It's uh, it's a country I've always wanted to visit. It's obviously a very beautiful country. Um, it's somewhere that that seems like it has like quite a crazy football population, even though they maybe um are, are a wee bit underappreciated. So that no, was it was a fantastic chapter in the book, um, and obviously. Phil Harrison, your expertise uh, came in fantastic and um, you've described everything about them brilliantly. So, um, yeah, thanks very much. That was a, a, a great retail about them. You're welcome, guys. Thank you. No problem at all. So now we are going to move on. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about a team from Belarus called FC Partizan Minsk. Um, Phil Rock, do you want to tell us a little bit about them just before I kick off? Uh, you know, maybe just you know how much did you enjoy writing them, how you came across them, um, what your takeaway from it was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, another club that I kind of just stumbled upon. Um, you know, when I was doing my research, I tried to spread it about. Uh, obviously, the, these countries uh, on the the Iron Belt, or as, as they call it, the former Soviet countries, uh, a, a lot of forgotten clubs, if you like, uh, from these areas because of uh, political reasons, really. Um, and 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 yeah, and you'll you'll see that. Uh, there were a club, the relatively new club uh, that only popped up. So I did try to make a mix of, you know, we have uh, Spartak Torana there uh, that were founded back in the, the 30s and stuff like that. Um, and, and were gone by 1959. This club were founded actually in 2002 as uh, now... Uh, pardon my pronunciation here, 
But uh, MPZ Ripo Minsk, they were known as when they first started. And you will get that an awful lot uh, in these countries and these clubs, uh, changing their names and, and stuff like that. Again, political reasons, as Phil alluded to, um, you know, what there was, what, seven clubs, eight clubs in the second tier in Albania changed their name from Puna, which meant workers, to different names because because they had to really uh, politically and uh, maybe were, were forced to. So you, you do get that a lot. But, uh, so they started off as MTZ uh, or IPO. Now, I don't know if that's or IPO or if it's RIPO, um, but Minsk. Uh, and the club was formed after two clubs in the city of Minsk, Minsk merged. So again, you're seeing this uh, merging uh, kind of stuff that happens an awful lot in these uh, European countries. Um, as I mentioned in the first uh, episode, um, in Ireland, it doesn't happen an awful lot, uh, you know, mer- merges. And I, I don't think it really happens an awful lot in the UK in general, in England and Scotland or Wales. Uh, I think it's really, it's, it, it's, it's a real European thing. Uh, as yeah. you'll find out from, from other clubs that, uh, that we'll talk about, even from countries like Germany and stuff like that. Again, mm. I think it's more of a political thing. Um, and, and I think I think it can it can maybe depend on a few things because <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Obviously, a bit about teams merging in last week's episode and how it can maybe you know in the case of FC Amsterdam, uh, you combine two sets of fans who maybe had a bit of animosity towards each other. Uh, they completely changed the names of those two clubs. Uh, it's almost like erasing history and erasing the kind of identities that those fans have, which is obviously an issue. Uh, to try and create some kind of new venture. Um, now, I, I can only think of a couple of instances in Scotland anyway where teams have merged, and it was lower down the leagues, and it was a long time ago. You're talking 100-plus years ago. Um, and it was because, uh, I, th- I think largely for financial reasons, the teams didn't have a huge amount of support anyway, but also because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe just because uh, they're from a fairly remote town uh, and they wanted to try and combine their support, that side of things. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons that I chose Partizan Minsk is because I actually quite liked the reason behind the merger. So mm. obviously, founded in founded as MTs, MTZ Repo Minsk, um, I'm going to call them. Uh, yeah. They merged with a kind of more well-established team because M- MTZ, MTZ were founded in 2002, but Tractor Minsk, uh, who they merged with, were founded in 1947. So it was almost like this this new team kind of. Uh, merging with the established old, um, but the the reason, oh, sorry, sorry, the Tractor Minsk ended up merging with uh, Trudovia Reserve. Uh, I'm, it, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna call them. <laughs> um, so Tractor <laughs> Minsk were obviously this this sort of established side, uh, well known, had been around for a long time, and uh, Trudovia Reserve were an academy side. Now. The reason that they ended up merging is so that they could get the financial benefits uh, and the financial backing of also kind of develop like having this youth academy base. It, it almost seems like it would go hand in hand. You know what I mean? Like I, I quite yeah. like the reasons behind the merger for this one. It's, it seemed actually seemed really quite interesting. They were basically getting the 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 best of both worlds from from say Tractor Mains had their financial muscle while uh, Trudovia. Uh, basically had the, the academy set up facilities and stuff like that and they said alright well you have this we have this why not just get together and that's where MTZ Repo Minsk uh, basically came from and um, yeah they were look it was it was a bit of a success story straight away because they got promoted <laughs> in their first season 
So um, it, it obviously worked out well from the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, promoted in their first season and in their uh, I mean, reasonably short history if you go by the merger. Yeah. Um, managed to win the Belarusian Cup twice, three times. I think it was twice, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, and in, in the first time they won the Cup, uh, was an, it was a, a shock. It was a cup set because they beat Bate Borisov, um, who are obviously quite a well-known uh, Belarusian team. They often go on European adventures. I think they play in the they would play in the Conference League now, but not this season. Again, I could be wrong. I've, I've not really been keeping up to date with the Conference League this season. Um, but they're quite a big European side, and they've got a lot of prestige to the name for that because of the most successful club in Belarus at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then they were obviously beaten by uh, by MPZ Repominsk uh, for them to win their first title. Uh, and obviously, you know, they're up in the the, the, the Premier Division or the, the first tier. Um, absolutely loving life. Uh, and a lot of the success was uh, was helped in no small part by a, a little-known footballer uh, by the name of Henrik Mkhitaryan. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I did he start his career with Repo Mints? Did he move there and, and use that as a kind of platform or did he come through the academy there? Um, I, th- I think he, he basically used them as a kind of platform. Uh, like these clubs, like uh, we, we talked there uh, with, with Phil about like, Albanian football and the little gems that, that would be there and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately for the Albanian players, um, they never really kind of went further than Albania. Um, but for 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 players that play in in countries like Belarus now, um, or, or Estonia, no disrespect to those leagues, uh, but they are basically stepping stones to you know the the holy grail of the Premier League, uh, and so it can only be said that it was a a stepping stone really. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, they they did enjoy quite a lot of success outside of that because often. <clears throat> When uh, you know these teams pop up, they'll maybe win a cup here and there, or get to a final, and then they'll they'll end up uh, collapsing back down the leagues. Um, mm. But they they done okay in Europe, I suppose, for their size and the fact they got there. Um, they got there for the first time, so uh, their European debut after they won the cup, uh, they won the Belarusian Cup, and that gave them entrance into the uh, the UEFA Cup and the mm. qualifying rounds. Uh, so the first team that they came up against was um, Hungarian side Ferencváros. Um, very good team. Uh, unfortunately, I, I remember them quite badly actually because they knocked Celtic out of the Champions League qualifier in uh, the COVID season, so twenty 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 one. Horrible season to be a Celtic fan, truthfully. But uh, they're they're a, a very very good team, very well drilled team, um, and they're doing quite well in Europe right now themselves. <clears throat> So, uh, Repo Minsk beat the beat them away from home two 0 uh, but lost the second leg at home two one. But obviously, that was enough to see them through on aggregate. Uh, and then in the next round, they came up against uh, aside from uh, Cheshire called FK FK Teplis, FK Teplish. I've probably it, yeah. butchered that pronunciation. <laughs> no, no, you're never right. And unfortunately, um, they lost three two on, ag- on aggregate in that one. Um, so their European journey came to an end. Um, but the next season, they were able to get back into Europe again. Um, they'd won the Belarusian Cup again. Um, so they were able to get back into that. And this time they came up against uh, Shakhtar Karagandy, 
again, another side to not Celtic out of um, the Champions League qualifiers quite a while ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they beat them 5-1 in their first game, which is fantastic. That's a great result. Uh, what a way to kick off your European adventure. Um, but then when they went to Karagandi to play, uh, they lost. Oh, sorry, uh, Karagandi came to Minsk to play them and they ended up losing 3-1. Uh, but again, it was still enough to see them through. So they, they got lucky, but they were made to sweat a little bit because of that. Um, as you would obviously, these are quite intense ties. Um, after that, they came up against FC Moscow, uh, who'd only been founded in 2004. They themselves only lasted about six years. Are they covered in the book, Phil, FC Moscow? Uh, no, they're not, no. The only Russian team that are covered in the book uh, are a team called Amkar Perm. Amkar Perm, oh, okay. Yeah, the name rings a bell, okay. But uh, um, no, no, I, I am familiar with, with FC Moscow, but uh, unfortunately, uh, they don't feature in, the, in this book in any way. In this book, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so that, that proved to be a little bit too much for them. So, Moscow won 3 0 in aggregate, and they were knocked out in the second round. Uh, they missed out on playing Europe in the next season. Uh, they finished fourth in the league, that was in 2006, um, behind Shakhtar Sologorsk. Uh, yeah. Who finished third? They had they had a few flash points with Sologorsk over their history. Uh, I believe they played them in a cup final and they managed to beat them, so they got a little bit of revenge for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the two thousand and six season, three Repo Minsk players actually finished amongst the top seven goal scorers in the league, um, which was Vyacheslav Leb. Hope I got yeah. that right. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was a brother of former Arsenal and Barca winger Alexander Leb. Yeah, uh, obviously quite a big name, very well known. Uh, and the others were Artem Konsovoy and Oleg Stokanovic, who had uh, a bit of a, a journeyman's career, shall we say, um, yeah. going around clubs in uh, Belarus and Ukraine and, and, and some in Russia as well. So in 2007, they finished fifth, but they managed to qualify for the 2008 UEFA Cup due to their triumph in the Belarus Cup. Now, if I remember correctly, 2008 was the last year it was called the UEFA Cup, was that right? It then got rebranded and that's when it became the Europa League. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you're you're, you're right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they managed to get entry to that as well. As I said, they beat Sologorsk in the cup final. Um, they beat them two one. They had a bit of a shaky end to the game when Sologorsk equalised. Um, but they replied pretty much immediately. I think they equalised quite close to full time, uh, maybe in the eighty second minute or something like that. Um, yeah. So it was you know, quite late on, but they, they, they had an immediate reply and they managed to win. So that got them entry back into Europe. Um, but unfortunately, this time they were knocked out in the first round by a Slovakian team, Zelina. Uh, they won 3 2 in aggregate again. Uh, and they went on to have a third place finish and gain qualification for the Europa League in the 2008 season. And Artem Konsovoy had a, a really, really good season. Um, he bagged 15, uh, which is, I mean, fantastic. Uh, and he'd also scored against Bate Borisov and Sologors. He'd scored against a, a, a number of big teams. So they, they were really, really, they were really pulling their weight and they were holding their own in, in, in this big league. And obviously, they've, they've not been around for very, very long. I mean, at this point, um, they've only been around for six years. So, you know, they're, they're, they're doing pretty well for a club that's only just been founded. Um, and obviously, they went into the Europa League again. They played against the Montenegrin side, Sujeska Niskic. Excuse me. Um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be horrible. No, I think yeah, uh, you know, I feel when I was writing about these teams, <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying, trying to pronounce them in my head and stuff like that was quite a challenge, and and getting the spelling right 
But uh, no, you you got that one right, though. Mm-hmm. Well, that time went to extra time. That tie, um, it was two each on aggregate at the end of the 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 ninety in the second leg. Uh, it got the winner in the one hundred eleventh minute, uh, which is always great to see. Causes great scenes. Uh, and then they went into the second round to play Metal or Donetsk, and they were absolutely outplayed. They could beat 3 0 in Donetsk. Um, and they gave it a go in the next leg, uh, but Metal or took the lead in the 16th minute um, and basically killed the tie. Um, and, you know, obviously, Henrik Mikatarian at that point was actually playing for Metal as well, so um, you're playing against his former team. So that would have been a bit of a bit of heartbreak for them as well. Now, 2009 was when things started to go a little bit downhill for them, and there's a few reasons for that. So they started falling down the leagues, um, and they ended up getting relegated, and they had to play a playoff. And it was a bit, I suppose, a bit weird, because there was a couple of times in Partizan Minsk's history where they had been in the top of the leagues uh, in the first division and the Belarusian um, Premier Division where they could have won the league and they actually had superior goal difference to the team who were tied with them in points made them play uh, a one-off tie and I think they, they won when they were in the second tier but they lost when they were in the mm. first tier wouldn't you say that's quite unfair? Yeah um, again these these kind of formats and stuff like that well they changed year on year uh, like when I'm doing my research on, on these type of in these countries and stuff like that. More so probably in South America. South America was really, really uh, difficult to follow. But uh, in some of these countries, uh, as a, a, a former Soviet Union countries and stuff like that, it was kind of like, because most of them were only establishing their independent leagues in 1991, 92, um, they were still trying to find the kind of format or structure, even into the early 2000s and, and late 2000s, uh, you know, 12, 15 years on. Um, still trying to find some sort of structure that they can just continue on. Um, but it was ever-changing. And I think, yeah, you know, you, you could argue, and I'm, I'm sure the Minsk, Minsk fans will definitely uh, argue and say it was unfair. But uh, unfortunately, that was just the kind of way it fell. I don't think it was against them as a club. I think they were just unlucky to fall into these kind of uh, uh, restructuring kind of formats at the time, basically, by the Belarusian F, FA. Of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, maybe a little bit hard done by uh, in those cases. But as you say, there was some restructuring going on and other things kind of happening at the time. Um, now, they started falling down the leagues and they, they, they didn't... I'm right in saying they didn't actually get promoted back up from the, the first division once they fell down to it. No, no. They took their time. Um, whereas some clubs who, uh, you know get relegated and bounce right back up um, now Minsk it, it was a little bit of a different story with them uh, to be fair uh, whether that was the kind of uh, the start of kind of the off-field um, demise uh, you can't really tell um, but I, I, I would suggest that there was probably something more to it uh, because they weren't down but they were they were, a, they were a, still a decent club and, and most would have expected them to come back up uh, nearly straight away but uh, it wasn't to be. Yeah, well, that that's what I was going to come on to the on-field issues because there's a there's a similar timeline that, that I'd quite like to bring up here. So, um, either of you familiar with a gentleman by the name of Vladimir Romanov? Yeah, of course I am. Uh, as as I mentioned in the book, uh, Hearts fans will definitely know uh, 
uh, Romanoff uh, no. from UK fans. Uh, Phil, would you be familiar with him? Yeah, he was uh, he was involved in Belarusian and Lithuanian football, wasn't he? He was uh, yeah. uh, the ugly ugly agark who who took hearts uh, almost the title, uh, and then then uh, tore him apart afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so he he Go actually on. owned this club as well, Phil. Um, so as you can imagine, <laughs> we're not going we're not we're not going to have a happy end. No, exactly, <laughs> yeah. and I, th- I think you actually mentioned it in the book because it was. It was weird because obviously you're so you're talking Scottish football in the the kind of mid to late two thousands. Um, not a lot of people are going to have a lot. Well, I mean, as far as I'm aware, obviously we, we're not going to paint everyone with the same brush. But Lithuanian and Belarusian football aren't going to be at the forefront of everyone's minds. Let's just say that. <laughs> no. So all of a sudden, this this big uh, Russian billionaire rocks up and and buys Hearts. Okay, and they're thinking, great, this is brilliant. Um, we're we're gonna be you know top of the league. We're gonna split Celtic and Rangers, and and you know we're gonna um we're gonna start putting some Edinburgh dominance in the map and all that kind of stuff. And it, as you say, as you said, Phil Harrison, it started off really really well, um because they had money and they were spending it. Oh my God, they were spending it. Um, they were really really throwing it around. But one thing that was kind of interesting as well at the start, and and it kind of continued the whole way, it was that Vladimir Romanov was quite a big fan of loaning players between the teams that he owned. So all yeah. of a sudden, Hearts had this absolute contingent of Lithuanian and Belarusian players just come out of nowhere. And some of them some of them were brilliant, um, and some of them were absolutely dross. Like, really, like, must have won a competition to be able to play. Um, he was quite a big fan of doing that, but it eventually got to the point where he was, where the clubs were kind of buying players from each other. Now, in the case of Hearts, it goes on and on and on, and their financial troubles, or rumours of their financial troubles, sort of start around 2010, 2011, I think it was, um, where basically they, they're in so much debt to Romanov because of this constant sort of like internal cycle of spending between the clubs that he owns. Um, it gets to around 2012, where the club are trying to find a new buyer. And by... 2013-2014 uh, they end up getting relegated and they get saved from liquidation by the Foundation of Hearts um, who are an absolutely fantastic group of people by the way um, basically a, a group of fans who realised they wouldn't have a club unless they uh, saved it more or less and they managed to get the money together to, to actually save Hearts and turn it into a fan owned club uh, to some degree, it's not really like that at the moment but it's, it's still there in some degree they still have a, a quite a big say in things um, but as you can imagine that happened to Hearts, who are a, a pretty well-known Scottish team. Um, they're, they're 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 big, uh, they're big up here. Um, and unfortunately, I have the I have the feeling that the same thing happened to um, Partizan Minsk because Romanov sort of ran into legal and money trouble, and for a while he completely disappeared. Yeah, yeah, which was really really bizarre <laughs> because he, he just like you know people at Hearts and and I assume these other teams are trying to speak to him, and he just completely vanished. Um, Genuinely, just went totally under the radar, absolutely AWOL, um, and no one knew where he was. They couldn't find him. And basically, the I, th- I think it, it seems like a case that obviously the, the club had its on field issues and to get relegated. And uh, even in leagues across the world, we all know that maybe a little bit bigger again. But if you take Sunderland for an example, they all said how they kind of struggled to cope with you know, being essentially still financially a Premier League club in terms of the wages they were spending and the monies they were spending, but having the infrastructure of a League One club or having to adapt to that, 
So I can imagine it's the same in other leagues as well, where if you start cannonballing down the leagues, then you're going to need to try and adapt pretty quickly. Otherwise, you're going to run into some serious issues. Yeah. So obviously um, that was going on. And then the rug was basically just pulled from underneath them and the money was gone. Um, yeah, he, 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 he as, you, as you mentioned there, Rory, he ran into legal problems of his own uh, and abandoned, basically just abandoned the club. Uh, yeah. Left them there. They couldn't afford, they had no financial backing at all. Uh, they couldn't afford a license for the for the Premier League, so therefore were thrown out. Um, and yeah, they just they just had no money. And unfortunately, the fans, uh, unlike Hearts, who who had the Hearts Foundation, as you said, um, unfortunately the money wasn't there with the fans with uh, with Partizan Minsk. Um, and they, they 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 went as I said they they were gone, but they did make a comeback in two thousand thirteen. Uh, they okay. renamed themselves uh, again, Partizan MTZ Minsk. So a bit of a mix match of their names uh, back in the day. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't take off, and they were once again um, dissolved and gone from the footballing world. Um, but it's just, it's, it's just, it's amazing that you know one one man can just dictate a whole a whole football club like that. That he just said, ah, "I'm having well." Not that he said he's having enough. I'd say other people said that to him. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, once he made, once he abandoned the club, they were gone. Um, and he did abandon them. He didn't go looking for any buyers. He didn't try say, "Look, I'm gonna, you know, make sure they're stable before I go," which is what normal owners do. And um, not every owner, of course, but uh, he he just he just seemed like uh, a shady character, um, and one yeah. that you know. Didn't belong in football. Uh, I use the word portfolio when when I de- when I describe uh, the clubs he had. So he had a Lithuanian club. Uh, he had um, par- uh, Partizan Minsk. He had Hearts. It was almost like he was collecting football clubs, um, and as you said, transferring players from one club. It was almost like a game to him. Um, yeah. And and as we know, rich owners, football clubs. Uh, playing games, it, it never ends well. And you'd be dead right, Rory. It, it didn't have a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I'm not not saying anything's happened, but by all means, by the listeners will know this themselves. By no means do we have any insider information. Um, all opinions are our own. Um, yeah, of course. And you can always, you can almost draw. I mean, I, I don't know. A lot of people will probably disagree, but you can almost kind of draw a comparison to Chelsea, maybe. Maybe, um, and, yeah. I mean, I know there's there's not really any issues, so to speak, that's risen with with Todd, um, Todd Bowley, but I mean they are they are hemorrhaging money at a frightening rate, and they are spending huge amounts, and it's not working for them. No, and if he pulled out of Chelsea, now I, I look, I would imagine it'd be a different story with Chelsea because I think to be buyers for Chelsea, I think yeah, uh, they, yeah, they would they would pull themselves out. But unfortunately for a lot of clubs around Europe, like Partizan, Partizan uh, Minsk, pardon me, um, and, and clubs like that, uh, and obviously clubs that I've written about and researched about, they didn't have that resource. So if they have, look, even Sporting Fingal, who had Jerry Gannon uh, backing them, and then once he was pulled out because he got in financial difficulties, that was that. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. this, this is a common theme. 
you know, it's it's all great having a rich owner and stuff like that, and 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 you know, he's he's bankrolling, and you you know, you're winning trophies and and all this malarkey. But once he gets bored, or if he runs into any troubles with his other companies, because he is going to have other businesses, uh, they're not, you know, they don't make their money out of football. Uh, very rarely, you know, there's there's not a lot of money to be made in football. Yeah, um, it's very, very rare if a club ever, uh, you know, truly turns a profit. Um, exactly. They're all, almost always operating at a loss because that's just the, the the kind of business that they're involved in. Yeah, and and because because it is, you're always doing the and look, you have to remember these these rich owners like uh, Romanoff there, um, like Jerry Gannon and all. They've no real obligation to keep the football club going. So uh, at the end of the day, these football clubs are just assets to them. If they yeah. become financially in trouble, the first thing they're going to do is right. Well, what do I have? that I can uh, use as leverage to get myself out of financial trouble. Oh, I have a football club. Now, in this stage, in, in this in this uh, regard, he didn't use the football club because I'd imagine the football club was in severe debt in anyway, so it probably was worth nothing. And uh, So he just took the second escape route, the second door, and went, I'm just going to leave it behind. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just <laughs> leaving it behind, and, and that's that. Um, and unfortunately, these are these are, you know, that's the team of a lot of the clubs that I feature that they did have a rich owner. The fans were great, uh, delighting all at the time. Um, but then the rich owner got bored or got in trouble and uh, just was on his toes. Um, but uh, it, it, it's it's something that I think fans nowadays are, are trying to stop. They're, mm-hmm. they're awakening to it. They're, they're kind of more uh, cautious when they hear that a rich owner is coming in to take over the football club. Uh, they're, they're kind of like, oh, hang on, no, no, that, that didn't work for other clubs. We don't want uh, the sole responsibility to fall on one man's shoulders. And that's mm-hmm. why I think you're seeing an awful lot of uh, clubs being fan-owned, or even in Germany, for example, the 51% rule. Where the, the, yeah, the fan, the, yeah. yeah. So that, that'll always protect the club. Um, and and, and that, that's the way it is. Now, one-owner one clubs... You know, it works sometimes. Look, we're looking at Liverpool there with, with John Henry. Uh, you look at Todd Bowley. Um, I think it's more difficult for them lads to walk away because they're in such a high-profile high position, like the Glazers and all. Like, the Glazers aren't going to turn around and go, right, good luck, lads, we're gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> the whole world is looking at them and they'd probably be, you know, have to hide themselves from assassination because there's so many fans. Like Where it's probably easier for Romanoff to go, uh, Partizian Minsk, yeah, good luck. Nobody knows anything about them, uh, and and just walk away. Uh, and that's no disrespect to Partizian Minsk, um, because at the end of the day, they're a football club. They had football fans that loved them, um, and and they were part of people's lives. And he basically just disregarded it. Um, and because of that, I've no sympathy for any financial difficulties that he did get himself in. Um, yeah, absolutely. That that be my two pence in it. It's, it's, it's interesting as well because I've always thought, you know, obviously within the last sort of decade or so, we've had Red Bull obviously founding uh, numerous teams. So you've got Salzburg, you've got Leipzig, uh, you've got, you did have Red Bull Brazil, you've now got Red Bull Baragatino, I think, Baragatino, something like that. Yeah, in Brazil, um, they were in the second division and Red Bull took them over and they're getting them promoted. So they actually yeah. are aiming uh, to have a club in every continent in Europe. Um or not Europe, sorry, the world. Uh, so yeah. they have one, I think they have one in Japan, um, uh, China they, maybe, they, or something like that. I think they do. It's, um, it is in Japan, I think. Um, but I've always just thought to myself, you know, just while we're on the topic, what would happen if 
you know, and it, it probably doesn't work like this. I know, I know it doesn't work like this, but for example, if uh, Red Bull got a new CEO or a new director or something, he came in and he said, and he just decided, I'm stopping all football operations immediately. And, you know, I know that these teams, particularly Leipzig, um, get a bit of, get a bit of, um, a bit of a slagging because, you know, they've just been founded out enough and they've had this huge financial backing from day dot. Um, and people, you know, say, well, you've not really got a history. Um, so how can you call yourselves a football team and stuff like that? But at the end of the day, there are still people that are going along to support them. Um, well, funny enough, just, Rory, it's, it's, there's, yeah. there's, there's a football, just when you're on that point there, uh, there is a football club in the book uh, from China uh, which we will speak about. We might speak about them in the next episode or in the next couple of episodes. Uh, oh, you're uh, as well. Yeah, uh, jo- jo- I can't pronounce the name. Jiang Sunning. Uh, they were taken over by uh, the Sunning Company, Sunning Limited. Yes. Um, right. And basically, they were around since the 1950s. Uh, they won the league in 2021. And then Sunning just stopped all football operations. And that was that. They were gone. Um, because somebody decided uh, in the you know in the higher echelons of Sunning Corporation or Sunning Limited or whatever uh, that they just didn't want the football department and like that mm. seven years of of history seventy odd years of history gone one league title and mm-hmm. that stands so that, I suppose I'll answer your question if Red Bull had, uh, employed the CEO who said let's let's take apart our uh, I'd say it'd be more complicated than that but let's take apart our football department uh, they. You know, it has happened. Um, and uh, Sunning, Jiang Sunning are uh, a perfect example of that, where and a club that we will talk about uh, in depth in future episodes. Yeah. Modern football, it's some laugh. Uh, Phil Harrison, any any thoughts just before we, we start wrapping up? Yeah, well, in regard to that, I'm, I'm not a fan of franchise football. Uh, I'm not <laughs> particularly a fan of, of modern football as my, if you ever go to my Twitter site, you, you'll see my uh, kind of, uh, uh, my front page on my Twitter site, it says against modern football. So, <laughs> so all of the, uh, all of the footballers and all of the games and all the clubs that I love are in the past though. So, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, I, uh, I observe modern football, but I don't really follow it. Uh, and if I do go and watch a game, it's generally non-league footballs. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so in regards to, yeah, the modern story of football, I, I don't like the way it's going and, you know, but at least I'm not involved. No, yeah. well, that, that's the thing. And I mean, you know, obviously Newcastle were bought over by uh, Saudi consortium last year. And now um, a Qatari consortium are looking to put a bid in for Manchester United, it looks like. Or I think there's been rumours that they've, they've kind of confirmed that. And um, someone said to me at the time, you know, uh, it's, it's not going to be long before uh, these huge sort of oil-rich countries are going to be running the Premier League. But I, I, I said to them, I said, well, but the, the Premier League's been like this for a while. Because... Mm. It doesn't matter what country they're from; they're still going to be rich consortiums. It doesn't matter mm. what nationality they are; they're still rich consortiums. Do you know? So it's 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 going to have the exact same effect, whoever it is and wherever they're from. Um, and I think that people have only started to, started to open their eyes to it because it's not an American person or it's not a British person. Do, do, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand. I just, I, it, it just, I just think it uh, sort of. 
you know, success meted out because of of what's in uh, a kind of CEO's bank account. It's just, it's just, it's just not. It's not. So what football, it's not what football should be, and it's not not the kind of football that I want want to be invested in. You know. Mm-hmm. No, totally yeah. agree. Absolutely. I think we should we should stick to the history of football, lads, and uh, and everybody <laughs> it's else. A place, guys. It's a happier place to be. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the the future of football is depressing, so we'll stick to the history and we'll stick to the past <laughs> and the present. That's exactly what we'll do. Um, but we've 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 got a bit over tonight, so um, yeah. So I think we'll we'll start to wrap up things there, but obviously. Um, tonight we have covered um, KF Partizan Tirana? Spartak Tirana. KF Spartak Tirana um, and FC Partizan Minsk. Um, another two forgotten football clubs uh, who were lost, one uh, due to political reasons mainly and the other uh, because of a, a rich owner uh, who, as we just discussed, just basically left them for dead. So, uh, again, next week we'll be back. We'll be picking another two clubs from the book at random and we'll be discussing them and their stories um, and just kind of going through the things that make them special and the things that make them interesting. Um, and as I said earlier on, we'll go on the Twitter and we'll announce our winner um, who won the giveaway from last week. I just told from the people who uh, who gave us the correct answers. Um, but for now, I'll say goodbye. Phil and Phil, uh, do you want to say goodbye as well? Yeah, goodbye yeah. all. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, I uh, goodbye and uh, hopefully uh, we'll... we'll uh... We'll have you uh, back for the next episode. Yep, absolutely. It's a big thank you from me as well. Uh, We'll see you next week. Thank you and goodbye.